You're listening to Look at My Records. I'm your host, Tom Gallo, and this is episode 168. This edition of the podcast features an interview with Glenn Brigman of Los Angeles-based psych pop outfit Triptides. The veteran group just released their latest record late last month, a shimmering and trippy psych pop masterpiece called Alter Echoes. As their eighth full length, the album represents a bit of a turning point for the band, as it's their first since scaling down from a four-piece to a trio. They also recorded it at Hollywood's Boulevard Studios, a different setting when compared with their previous releases, which were recorded mostly at home on Tascam tape machines. During our interview, we talked about how this new approach to recording impacted the record's overall sound. Glenn's memories of the band's early days recording their first two EPs and their first album, Psychic Summer, how he's constantly writing new songs, and much more. Plus, Glenn picked some awesome records from my record collection, and we talked about our mutual affinity for Martin Newell, Guided by Voices, and Stereo Lab. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right. Another episode of Look at My Records. I'm here. So, so pumped to have... Glenn Brigman of Triptides, one of my favorite songwriters. How you doing, Glenn? So great to have you here. I'm doing well, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Anytime your eighth LP, Alter Echoes, is out now via a live natural sound records. That's awesome that you've already put out a grand total of eight full lengths in a 10-year period. It's really impressive you know i like to look at the the new one it's almost like our first record because we did it a totally different way and with the new guys and you know i I don't know if i was gonna say like where did the band begin and i would say you know maybe this record so it just depends on the vibe there totally and i I really have so many questions about it because i was actually looking at it in a very similar manner this really seems like a new phase of triptides. But before we get into that, I do want to take a step back and talk about the band's early days. I mentioned before we started recording that I'm a big fan of triptides. Probably right around the time you put out Azure 2015, 2016. And since then, I've really dived back into the back catalog pretty uh, intensely. I'm a big fan of basically everything uh, you've put out. So I was curious about what you remember about the early days of the project, recording your debut, Psychic Summer, which is an awesome album, and those first two EPs, the self-titled EP and the Tropical Dreams EP, are also great, definitely very different sounding than 
Alter Echoes, which you just released, but it, I'd love to hear some perspective as far as what you remember about the origins of the band and recording your earliest uh, works. Well, those were, those were really nice times. We had a great time back then. And, uh, you know, we weren't trying to do anything extraordinary. We weren't trying to better ourselves, best ourselves or make something better than we had already made. You know, we were just, it was just pure creation, I suppose you could call it. And uh, I think that it was just something, I think we were excited just to record something on our, on our four track tape machine and hit play and it to come back out of the speakers or out of the headphones at that point. So we were just, we were being fueled by the excitement of just seeing what we could do. And, and I think that led to, you know, a lot of quick songwriting, like, that's a good idea. Let's do that one. Or, uh, you know, let's, let's go ahead and put it out. Someone already said they liked it. You know, I just, uh, I remember we had like one little blog reviewed us when we put out like, uh, Venus is Cruel and uh, Something Silver and some was like, I think we just put out Venus is Cruel and some blog was like, like post about it like a day later and we were all real excited about it. Even though it was like, you know, little blog in like Texas or something and it kind of fueled the excitement and we were just, you know, we were second year in college is the first time we'd lived in a house like outside of our folks' places, you know, it was our first year out of the dormitories and we were just it was a liberating year and a liberating time. We did feel like we could do whatever we wanted to do. I mean, I still went to class and stuff, but we did a lot of rocking in the in the interim. <laughs> That's super <laughs> so, cool, yeah. Yeah, you know, we had a basement and we just threw a bunch of stuff down there and drums and bass amp. And, you know, we had this big, you know, solid state bass amp, a PV amp, I don't know, a drum set from uh, Josh's roommate and San Diego buddy who brought a drum set and man, we just did as much as we could, as, as fast as we could, because we were excited. And, and I think, you know, you know, 10 years later, now I've learned a lot about recording and songwriting. And now I really like, I think I have more of a pointed vision about what I want my songs to sound like and what I want my songs to make people feel like. And I think there's more of a uh, fine tuning that goes on. But I still think I'm still riding that high of just excitement and joy of making and creating and sharing so i don't i don't think that's changed because even when uh you reach out you say you want to do an interview i'm like somebody cares awesome let's do it you know i want to make another song man you know <laughs> like, that's it's just that kind of vibe man i'm a kid still when it comes to like getting excited about music yeah it's funny because when i heard the new record when I hear new Triptide song, I get excited too. So I'm glad we can vibe off of each other Ooh, like that. Yes. Nice. Tell me from those early days, because you're in college within the last decade, but I was reading that, I guess, using a Tascam four track, discovering tape recording was a big impetus for this project and actually recording stuff for this project but it's still around a time when people were still using computers and digital recordings at home what was it about uh recording to tape and stuff like that that uh, uh attracted you to that medium well first of all this machine is right here <laughs> that's the one i just pulled out of my closet it's the exact same one 
We don't know. Is it a second one I bought after the other one croaked on me? That's also possible. Maybe it's the third. But that was the model, the exact one. Yeah. And uh, I think we didn't have good gear. We had like, you know, pretty standard modern microphones, no preamps, no, no compressors, no nothing. We had a reverb pedal. It was like electro harmonics reverb pedal. And I think if we had tried to do what we were doing and recorded it digitally, it would have sounded pretty bad. And I think that, <laughs> I think that hitting the tape, using the tape's own preamps, using the tape's compression and saturation, and the way that the tape kind of had a natural EQ that smooths everything out, really afforded us a, a huge advantage with our horrible gear. Because you could, you could put an SM57 into your interface and hit record on your computer. It's going to sound like a modern microphone, totally yeah. dry and not no character, nothing exciting. Everyone's heard it before. You do the same exact microphone in this tape machine over here. And it's going to sound like something that came out of at least the 80s, you know, some weird yeah. time capsule thing. And we were just trying to instantly zap it with the time machine almost, like age it as it hit the tape. And I think that the cassette multi-tracks really do a wonderful job of that because you can't make it sound modern on those things. And that's what we needed. We needed something that said you can't make this sound good because you're not good enough. And we were like, we're not good enough. So let's just do it on this. And I was also really into like cleaners from Venus. Yeah. You yeah. use the four track and real estate too. the first real estate record, which I have over here somewhere. I remember looking at the back of the record. I bought it at landlocked records in Bloomington and it said recorded with a Tascam 414 for these songs, whatever Tascam, whatever 388 for these songs. And I was like, What's going on with this Tascam stuff? You know, what's what's the deal here? And then I just I went on Craigslist. I went on Craigslist when I was in Atlanta over the summer, or maybe it was Athens Craigslist, and someone was selling one like in the box for like forty bucks. Like songwriter lady, I guess she was like a mom and just had it, and just like that was the that was a game changer, man. That was I remember going to Sam Ash and asking for cassettes and getting these like. Like five minute long cassettes like these like they only had these like five minute cassettes with like the silver thing around them like yeah i don't even know like custom that someone never picked up and i i use those you could only get like two songs on them and that was before i even understood where to buy cassettes or what to do and i still have them i still have like recordings i think the song tide pool from the first ep was done on one of those like random things i was it was fun, man. I did that in my parents' basement. That was the only one I didn't do in Indiana. But, yeah. Wow. Very cool. Cool to hear that perspective about the early days of the band. How did you first develop an affinity for psychedelic music? You know, it's, it's cool to ask people about this because it's the kind of music that your parents could have definitely had in their record collection. There they bands did. like the, the Zombies, Pink Floyd, the Moody Blues, uh, their Satanics, Majesty's Request, and of course the Beatles. So, was it something that you kind of got from digging through your parents' record collection at first as a starting point? Well, my dad was—he was a Southern guy, but he was, and his—he came from sort of a working class, almost like farmer family. His his dad had like a had his own business and there was, they had slowly gotten to more business like uh, stuff. I don't know. There was a car dealership in the family tree here. And then there was like his dad, like sold like, like fixed vending machines or like stock cigarette machines, you know, like random stuff in the South. And, and my dad 
was like one of the first guys in his family to go to college. So he was kind of on this like trying not to be like a hillbilly anymore. You know, I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. Like kind of separating himself from like the Tennessee farmer roots. And he was into classical music. So he took classical piano and he loved classical music. So that translated into me hearing a lot of classical music, but also like kind of prog or weird stuff that had pianos and stuff that he thought was classical, like the Moody Blues or something. Yeah. So so that kind of influenced me. He liked the Beatles for sure. He had like the blue and the red like box set CDs. And I remember taking those and listening to them. And I got the Beatles one when I was a kid. But yeah, my dad had some interesting stuff in his collection. He liked Queen. And Queen, you know, there's some psychedelic vibes yeah. to Queen too. Like I remember him blasting Bohemian Rhapsody because probably just because it had Rhapsody in the name. He was like, this is cool. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was yeah. like the arrangements. He liked the Beach Boys. But he liked the Beach Boys on like a nostalgia level. Like he remembers dancing with some girl when he was 12 or 13 at a party at some some parent's house listening to Surfer Girl. You know, he had a memory of that. Like that's where he was because he was born in 48. Surfer Girl came out in 64. Yeah, he's probably like 16 or whatever. So like high school dance, yeah. you know, when we were dancing to whatever the Big Butt song or whatever, he was dancing <laughs> to like Surfer Girl, you know, it's so funny. So he, yeah. he did give me some good stuff. He was, he didn't like Led Zeppelin. He didn't like ACDC. I remember I printed out the tabs for Hell's Bells by ACDC and he got like pissed off at me. He's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Satanic shit, you know, we weren't even a super Christian. He was just like, we were just like as Christian as a normal, whatever, Southern Methodist family or whatever, yeah. but not Catholic or something. And yeah, so I was influenced at a young age by that. And Psychedelia just, I mean, I heard I Am the Walrus, I remember, and I was like, What's going on with the song? And my, and my grandma was English. She was on my mom's side. They were all English. And she would make stuff up to explain the psychedelic lyrics of the Beatles. I remember I was like, Grandma, what's sitting on a cornflake? And she's like, in England, we say a bench is cornflake, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, cool, Grandma. You know, <laughs> like, what else do you say to a kid, though? You know, yeah. it's, I have these That's distinct so memories. She would like sit in my room before i went to sleep we'd listen to the beatles beatles one or whatever you know it's pretty funny man so i was into that's that at a young age before i i you know i diverged like everyone into like sugar ray or smash mouth or third eye blind and got into like the alt rock stuff but then i think i got right back into it in like fifth or sixth grade and i, I didn't stop from like the classic rock psychedelic rock and i heard stairway to heaven basically and that was game over i didn't want to i didn't want to hear anything else aside from 70s music after that sick yeah what i really like looking at triptide's entire catalog um in the within the context of psychedelic music as i feel like your songwriting really still has it's really seeped in pop music too you it's not like it doesn't venture out into the really like heavy ass shit. And, and you know, that's not like a positive or, or negative thing. Right. I, I hear it's that. It's just yeah. like, it's, it's definitely like good pop songwriting too, which is, I think why I like it so much because yeah, I like, saw I'm a your, fan I of, saw your record collection. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see what you like got I'm in big, there. I'm a big fan of like XTC and you know, that mid period of XTC. Guided by voices. Yeah. Is yeah. uh, mid period XTC is when 
you know, they're really experimenting and getting more in touch with their psychedelic roots. Yeah, I had that Dukes of Stratosphere record for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a pretty good one. 25 o'clock. Yeah, but like Andy Partridge is still just such like a genius pop songwriter. I don't know. I don't know if, if I mean, if you see it since you're, you're actually the songwriter, but I like see that a lot in Triptides too. Like the melodies are still really pleasing and sweet and just really good, solid pop songwriting, uh, in my opinion. I think those, that's the records I go back to, you know, that's, I, I, I like Gong, I like Hawkwind, I like these, like, outer space, like, weirdo bands, you know, but, like, I don't listen to them all the time, you know, that's when I'm in a certain mood, but I can throw on, like, good songs any day of the week, man, or, like, just good, uh, anything you can sit down and just strum out on acoustic or at a piano and sing, you know, that's a song to me. And it's like, you know, I used to call piano, I'd say, hey, I want to learn this song, and my piano teacher would say, that's a piece, you know, it's not a song. Yeah. And maybe some of these bands are making pieces, like, like Gong makes these psychedelic pieces, whereas Gong like the is Beach crazy. Boys... The whole Canterbury scene is, is <laughs> yeah. insane. I love Soft Sheen, I love Kevin Ayers. Kevin Ayers started yeah. making songs, you know, he definitely got into the song stuff, but he also kept it weird. But like, yeah, those are, you know, songs versus pieces, and I think... I think I do dig songs and even the Beach Boys yeah. at their weirdest on Smile, you know, it's still, there's still a song in there and the melody is the king of the song, you know, and that without yeah, and the I melody, it falls away. Like same with Neil Young, you know, any Neil Young song, you can sit down and, and sing it to somebody and give them an idea of the song. It's, it's not always relying on production elements or, or additional things to make these things translate into this idea of the song. You know? So, yeah, is that something you're conscious of when you're when you're writing songs uh, as far as, you know, making it, you know, very, you know, pleasing sounding and, and stuff like that? Because, you know, there are so many bands currently that categorize themselves as psychedelic music, you know, within the broad swath of that genre. But there's so many different things under that umbrella. And, you know, I definitely find myself leaning towards more of the the pop side because they are songs and i think there's something to be said for like good songwriting pop songwriting and stuff like that well i think everyone i mean when i first started making demos by myself it's hard to take things to outer space by yourself sometimes you know like i think the closest to that was like when we recorded shadows on the second ep and has like the extended jam section we were trying to do that like i don't know uh, Tame Impala, Desire Be, Desire Go, you know, he takes into some Space Yum and some of those early Tame Impala songs too, where it's still, it's just kind of the song like gets lost for a second a cool way, right? Yeah. But I, I do feel like I'm stuck in sort of like, I, I, I'm a, I worship the format of just a, a concise song. And, and if I yeah. want to take it to space, I like can. I, I love Future Days, Ege Bamyasi. I love all that stuff. But I almost feel like I'm doing it as Stereolab did it on like Emperor Tomato Ketchup, where it's like, yeah, there's the motoric beat. There's some like kind of driving, droning rhythm guitars and stuff. But Letitia Sadier, when she opens her mouth, it's like this beautiful pop melody. So the whole thing is now a pop song. It's not Domo Suzuki like saying crazy stuff, you know, it's like it's like Letitia singing this beautiful melody. And suddenly it's not just this kraut rock experimental thing. It's 
it's morphed into a pop song. And that's why I really love Stereo Lab. That's why yeah. I like chose them on the playlist because they really do a good job of taking these kind of like, like you know, train engine like motoric driving forces, but like translating into this like beautiful pop mel- melodic piece. It's 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 pretty incredible, <laughs> and I'd yeah, like to do more great. of that. Yeah, it's great, and you know, all the melodies on Triptide songs are great. So that's why I love the band and the songwriting. So keep it going dude oh, thanks man yeah that's just luck i guess i'm not sure <laughs> i played a lot of classical piano as a kid so i heard a lot of melodies you know debussy and chopin and beethoven and they're pretty pretty intense melodies so maybe that helped or i played a lot of video games so maybe i heard like the same <laughs> nice, mario dude. music or like hideo koji or no way who does the uh Koji Kondo, that guy wrote some good stuff, like the uh, Legend of Zelda stuff. You know, like you hear enough Hell sick yeah. melodies and like Ocarina of Time, you're like, okay, you know, because you're playing that game for hours and hours, right? So you yeah. just keep hearing these awesome songs. Getting into your head, yeah. It's true. And same with like, you know, Mega Man and all that stuff. These like cool melodies, these like intense chord changes, incredible arrangements. And, you, and you're hearing the arrangements over and over as you're like blasting away, you know, whatever robot monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't true. regret a I single moment. I still remember some of those songs in Ocarina of Time. Oh, I yeah. still remember some of those. Zelda's Lullaby, the, the Lost Woods theme. I mean, some of those are pretty close to Mort Garson's Plantasia, if you haven't heard that one. Yes. There's yes, a song absolutely. on Plantasia that's literally Zelda's Lullaby, and you know they heard it, and you know they copied it. And I love that, and I don't even care. <laughs> um, we're, we do not care. We I know. do not care. Mort, you did good. <laughs> Koji, you, you did, did good. You did care. a good job, Koji. Y'all, y- y- y'all, y'all done did the damn thing, and I don't really care how you got there. So, so let's talk. A li- let's talk about Alter Echoes now. It's your eighth LP, as I alluded to in the beginning of our interview. I'm curious, what's changed as far as your mindset when you go into making a record compared with? previous records you've recorded and what do you think has remained the same for you as far as your approach and mindset into going into making a record well i think the influences are still kind of the same i mean i'm listening to i mean no that's not exactly true i guess i'm listening to a lot more stuff it's the way i interface with the influences and the way i want to make make each song give a certain vibe. I don't think that's changed too much. But with the other guys, with Brendan and Steven, I, I did feel like we brought like a much more live energy to it because we were all playing together in the room, which was different than normal. I mean, back in the day, it was either just me or me and Josh, two guys maximum. But uh, I guess on predictions, we did we did three in a room, but that was my bedroom and it wasn't a studio with like a, you know, a legitimate room and everything. So uh this was cool to get in there and kind of feel like a band felt back in the day going into a room and just, you know, trusting the engineer, Clay Blair. He's a great guy and really fantastic engineer. So we just knew it was going to sound good. And I don't know, there was something exciting about having Steven and Brendan there. And like, it was our first record with the three of us. And I think we brought that energy and it just kind of like exploded in a good way because everyone just wanted to kill it. It's like, 
if it's your first day in school, you want to look like a badass kid, you know, you want to like show with sunglasses and like, you know, the cooler backpack or whatever, you know, and like, we wanted to show up like it was the first day of school for all three of us or something, you know, and just rock. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So I actually was checking every record to make sure this is an accurate statement, you know, all the liner notes and stuff, but this is the first record trip tides has done that was not produced by you is that right well i i would say all the other records were well we had john warlick a good friend of ours he worked on predictions and he definitely engineered it and mixed it production is i don't know it's sort of a fickle term because what does that mean like I don't know. Brendan was saying we produced it and Clay engineered it. I I wasn't sure if Clay would get co-production credit, but I guess if you were going to say that producing would be the vision in someone's head coming to life and just, or just the vision of another person's head, but you're bringing it to life, right? You're producing it. You're either, you're either helping them uh, achieve these things that they need to achieve in order to make the vision come to life, or it's your vision. You're doing that for yourself. So I don't know. I would say we all produced it. I, I definitely, we had demoed the songs. We knew how the songs wanted to go. I, we worked fast. I, I, yeah. I, once we had the basic tracks done, I was like, all right, Clay, we're doing over, we're doing lead guitars today. Let's do it. Set up some amps. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, after that, I'm going to blast through a bunch of keyboard stuff because I knew exactly where everything needed to go in the song. It wasn't like yeah. he was like, but he did say, you know, why don't you try this guitar? Why don't we try this pedal? So he did have some production elements that he added to it. Yeah. So it's but it, so it was like the first record that someone on the outside was kind of involved. Yeah. Well, yeah, though, yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Yes. Aside yeah. from, like I said, our yeah. buddy John Warlick, but he was he was just sort of running the boards and mixing, whereas Clay was. Yeah you know, actively saying, like, why don't we try this reverb? Maybe you try that vocal again, you know, which I appreciated. Absolutely. So it is, I would love to work with him on stuff in the future, hopefully when we can go into a studio without having to wear masks and shit, you know, that's kind of a fucking bummer, yeah. dude. I don't want to, I don't want like the f- photography of us like in the sick studio with the fucking masks on. I mean, I'm all about the mask. Wear a mask. It's all good. I just don't yeah. remember wearing them and I, yeah, I don't need to like look you. back on this era. It, yeah. <laughs> I don't need these like classic photos on the VH1 thing in 50 years. We're just wearing a fucking <laughs> mask in this beautiful studio. I don't know. Not that that'll happen, but, but I I don't know. What was behind the decision to record in Boulevard Recording Studio and working with someone on the outside, basically? Because for every other record, it's basically been triptides and in your apartment or, or house, right? Right. And we had an old studio uh, in Highland Park where we did the Visitor's Record. That was like an apartment studio thing. But aside from yeah. that, yeah. So basically... Brendan had met Clay a long time ago on some Beatles, like nerdy Beatles forums, for lack of a better better term, <laughs> nice. where they talk about talk about gear, they talk about songs and and had the correct way to play stuff. Everything from that to, you know, I'm going to be a Paul McCartney impersonator in this band as anyone else in other bands. It was like, and Brendan was a Ringo impersonator in another band, so. Him and Clay were sort of in these like similar worlds, although I don't think they'd really hung out, you know, just kind of knew each other. 
And I guess Clay was like doing the Paul McCartney thing when, when Brendan was doing the Ringo thing. So they had a mutual respect. I think they like clowned on each other and like gave each other a hard time too. <laughs> there was some like internet trolling stuff. I love it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so we're in LA and we're playing a show. Anyway, Brendan kept saying, Hey, I'm inviting my buddy Clay out. He's going he's a great producer. He's got an incredible studio. So like, if he likes the band, maybe he'll want to work with us. And, he watched the show. We met with him. He's super chill. He's from the South. I'm from the South. It was kind of funny. You know, we had like, we knew certain things about life that only Southern people know, I guess. So it was kind of cool. And, uh, and eventually, yeah, Brendan was like, should we record with him? He's down. And I was like, absolutely. Let's do it. You know, he's He's, I don't know. He gave us a little bit of a deal and like a friend deal. And I think, uh, after that, we just showed up and, it just took off. I mean, we were instantly, everyone was cool with him. He was super cool and personable. And, you know, we're making jokes immediately. Like we've all been hanging out for a long time and, uh, it was a good vibe and he's a really smart guy and he's, he's got a great ear and he knows the kind of music we're trying to make. So I think he enjoyed working with us as much as we enjoyed working with him. I'm sure we got sick of our notes in the mixing. We did send a couple <laughs> rounds of notes, but as someone that also mixes, I understand that that's par for the course. And it's just, it's like how annoying the notes will be, not how many. So I think we, <laughs> I don't think we were too annoying, you know, and I, he did, he ended up doing a wonderful job and we did get in there and mix with him too over his shoulder, but just like a couple final tweaks to be like, can you fix one thing on my vocals <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> I sang one note flat. Can you fix it, please? I don't know. L little, little nitpicky bullshit, you know, whatever, but he's great. So, so Brendan really connected the dots there and uh, yeah, it's great. It was awesome. Yeah. What's it been like having Steven Burns and Brendan as part of, triptides now i was checking out uh steven's solo work it's really great and different sounding and as i had mentioned earlier it seems like it's a new phase of triptides operating as a trio now instead of a four piece so how's that uh how have those changes in this new lineup basically guided the direction of the band uh things happen pretty naturally um I, I was going through some lineup changes right when Brendan moved to LA and I asked him if he wanted to be in the band since I knew him from Chicago playing with him in other bands and he was excited to play because he just moved to LA so I got lucky and got him while I was a free agent and Steve and we've been talking about being in a band together since we were you know 12 years old I've known that guy since kindergarten in Atlanta so that was awesome so we, we had recorded and he actually had shown me how to record music when I was in high school when I was like 17 or 18 I go to his parents house and we go in the basement and he had a, a interface and garage band and he was like oh this is how you do it kind of this is how you should put a mic on you know an amp this is how you should put mics on a drum set so Stephen basically taught me how to record so it's funny full circle stuff going on there yeah and then we were working with a friend of ours Patrick Sosos from Chicago as well also an old friend of Brendan's and we were doing some tours as a four piece with him on bass and Steven on guitar, but he was planning on moving to California, but things kind of kept coming up and he didn't actually make it out. And we were being offered gigs in LA and he couldn't make it. So we started playing them this trio with Steven on bass because Steven loves to play the bass. He's, he's a guitarist that loves to play the bass and respects the bass as an instrument, not like looking down his nose at the bass, you know, because there's some guitarists like, whoa, bass, count me out, you know, and this, and Steven loves playing the bass. So after a while, we were just like, 
we love Patrick, but I don't think it's going to work if he's across the country. It'll be a little easier logistically to tour with just the three of us. We're getting it done. Yeah. Fine. You know, and when we went to the studio, it was so easy to work with three people to teach two other people these songs or, you know, it, it's just everything became easier. And, and Steven and I kind of took turns doing guitar overdubs. He's an incredible guitarist, as you can hear on his own stuff. And, and Brendan covered like all the percussion. He's like an army of percussion, you know? So it's like, we don't really need anybody else. And I think, I think three people is a good like triangle of checks and balances where you can kind of say, is that cool? And you have two other people. It's not one-on-one -on -one, and it's not like two people versus two people. There's always a tiebreaker. It's, it's, it's actually a really great setup and I'd recommend everyone just have a power trio. You know, I think if you got five people, fire two right now and just kind of move on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely the logistical aspect, which I've heard from, many bands that are maybe once a four piece and scale down to a trio. Does it impact your songwriting at all or your approach to songwriting? Are you more conscious now that this is a trio and maybe the way you write songs or not really, well, well, or does it affect it at all? I or? guess in the past, when we added, when we first switched to a four piece back in Indiana, I was doing a lot of loops and stuff. I was like using my boss delay it as a looper on it and I would do a riff and then I'd add like a lead over it. Like Colors, for example, is coming to mind if you're familiar with that song. Yeah, great song. It starts off with one guitar and then another guitar comes in on the higher step. And that's when we were like, man, it'd be great if we had another guitar player, you know, whatever. And that's when it turned into the four piece. So I guess there is some part of my consciousness that's like, there's not going to be another guy up there playing that high part dog. So just make something simple, you know? So I don't know. And <laughs> I think that is something to do with it, but I think it goes back to our previous discussion about songs versus pieces and songwriting, yeah. because we just recorded another batch of songs the other week, like another 13 tracks. And we've been recording like crazy over this quarantine thing, but all the songs are very like big star meets like Neil Young, American beauty, grateful Amazing. dead. And it's all kind of based on the songs, you know? And again, maybe that's because I know I'm just going to be relying on these two other uh, guys on bass and drums. So it's like, if we can't transmit these ideas fully with the three of us, there might be a problem there. So maybe there is a part of my subconscious that knows that I'm not going to have that fourth thing up there. But we also did a whole album where it's mainly Wurlitzer Electric Piano and Farfisa, where I have to be like the octopus man on like synthesizers and like, so like electric pianos and stuff. And I think that that <clears throat> being a three piece of piano and uh, organ based three piece it's actually pushing me personally to try and see how much stuff i can do as just one person which i think is really fun it's like a, it's like a game you know it's like a weird obstacle course it's like holy shit here comes the synth part too but keep the keys going you know it's like Bow! can you do the fuzz on the synth i guess so yeah. yeah gotta make it happen i know people have worked with making less. it happen yeah, people worked with less yeah. man you know zeppelin is a Zeppelin is basically a three-piece. I mean, Robert Plant's not not doing anything aside from singing. So if I could be Robert yeah. Plant and, and Jimmy Page, which is never going to happen, I, I hate even to make that comparison. Just scratch that from the record. But you know, but you know what I mean. Essentially, it's a three-piece. The Who's the same way. Sabbath's the same way, and they fucking rocked and they got it done. <laughs> so whatever. They totally got it done. And Trip Tides. 
definitely gets it done. Hey, thanks, as man. Well, <laughs> in my humble opinion, we're trying to to get it done. To you know, go get it. So yeah, yeah. You you said you view Triptides as basically a new band now. I I categorized it as like a, or described it as a new phase for Triptides. How do you view that then? Why do you view it as a new phase? for the band i think everyone's evolving and growing all the time right you know whatever they say after seven years you have like totally different like skin cells or you know there's these weird things where it's like you're a new person after so much time and it's like if you're not changing and becoming a more advanced version of yourself then you're stuck so i don't ever want to get stuck i want to keep growing i want to keep experiencing new things new ideas having new new relationships with with uh, amazing other musicians where we push each other and and that's why i think yeah it is a new phase because the old phases were great and i'm not discounting any part of them and they i wouldn't be here today without all of the previous phases lining up in the way they did but the important thing is to look forward not to be dragged down by the expectations created in the past i think otherwise you're going to get kind of like trying to reclaim some like past thing you did or like you know you're like the guy at the high school reunion that just wants to like pretend it's high school still <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you guys want to chuck in a beer or what they're like i'm a neurosurgeon <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> whatever you know like, i don't know i think you really need to keep pushing forward because life is you know they say life's too short but life is also long as it is short and you have yeah. so many so much time to reinvent and create exciting new things that it's too, you can't just keep playing the same songs or having the same ideas because it just gets boring. And that's why, I guess that's probably why people give up on music. They're like, I'm just going to be a business guy now. It's like, you could have just tried someone else. There's so much music. Music is like, so that's huge circle of stuff, you know? And like, I've maybe explored like this tiny little, like, you know, part of the pie chart here. And I maybe have gone to this in like the last like five years or whatever. There's still all this. So I'm not sure. Yeah. What I feel like has changed for Triptides looking at the entire catalog is slowly this like hazy psychedelia is kind of like sharpened a little more. I agree. Culminating with this record where this is like a really cleaner sharper sounding record you did go to the the big studio to do it and i'm a big fan of every record you've put out but it's cool to to notice the differences and the progression from the psychedelic summer to alter echoes and i feel like that's kind of the the path it's it's gone well i think we were we were of the time for that stuff you know we were listening to yeah real estate and all these like garage yeah. bands like black lips and stuff with so much reverb and stuff you know and, yeah. and we were trying to do that that vibe because we thought it was cool reverb was cool reverb was really cool in like 2010 or whatever you know That's grizzly bear fleet foxes all that <laughs> shit i mean their production was good but that fleet foxes stuff is drenched and that's you know we yeah. thought you know we're not that good at singing like mama didn't raise a singer here i'm just getting it done right so uh i'm throwing on tons of reverb to try and like 
disguise my lack of skill as a singer back then. And But if you keep singing for 10 years, you, you eventually get a little bit better, right? So I'm not like, I, I'm still not Tom Jones over here, but I'm at least good enough that I don't need to like drench myself in a cloud. I can be, we can just beam through as like a little beam of sunlight now. And I think that's kind of, as you said, we were coming out of this psychedelic haze into like, yeah. It, we're, it's yeah. like you're leaving San Francisco, you know, and going into L.A. on a sunny day yes. or something. Yeah. But uh, I think that's cool. And I think that's of the time, too, because you listen to like, I don't know, I, 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 I don't want to get too weird on it. But I do feel like, you know, maybe the 2000 aughts were like, I don't know, the 60s or something, because it was 50 years later. I do think 50 year yeah. cycles are interesting. So maybe... Or like, no, no, the, the teens, right. Yeah, 50 years later. So 2010 was like 1960 or whatever. So we were kind of doing the 60s vibes. And now that it's 2021, maybe we're like Neil Young Harvest vibes, you know, like there's, it's just dry. It's real. It's like we're kind of shedding a little bit of this like psychedelic, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like pizzazz or whatever it is. And yeah. we're just trying to get back to like, songs that can connect with everybody and but we're still keeping the ideas we're not like you know we're not going to change our vibe we're just going to change the way the vibe yeah. is translated into other people's ears and i think that can be a really interesting way of growing and evolving because you know it's like you can do the organs doors thing until you know eternity but it would be cool to like you know, get to LA woman or like what happens if Jim Morrison stayed alive or something, you know, and these bands kept going. I don't know. It's like Tyrannosaurus yeah, Rex totally. and the T-Rex. He went from like wacky, like reverbed out, like tripped out tribal Indian drumming stuff to just like heavy, clean glam rock, you know, it just direct, direct to your brain. And I think that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a really apt comparison definitely some bands did it better than others like beach boys like i don't really the 70s stuff's fine but <laughs> like, yeah they, they worked well with this sort of like 60s sound there's there's bands that should have just not changed but that's okay that's okay too okay. yeah but I, I definitely agree with that sentiment one more question before we get into some specific tracks on alter echoes what i've been you know, has impressed me with Triptides is you've released a lot of music over a 10-year period that you've been active. Have you been able to maintain that? Are you the kind of songwriter that's constantly writing and demoing and go through? You don't really, when you're getting ready to like, you're like, oh, now I have to sit down and write a record. Are you someone that's just kind of always writing? Instead? Always writing. Yeah, I've never been like, oh, shit, I got to write a record. It's almost like, okay, which one of these 30 <laughs> demos do we use? <laughs> it's like, yeah. and like, like yeah. I said, since the pandemic, we've recorded like almost 40 something songs, like three out, three more records of stuff because... I don't know. What else are we going to do? We just keep writing, especially with Brendan and Steven. Those guys are so great to bounce ideas off of. It's, it's wonderful. And like, especially Brendan, like pushing me forward with the drums and, you know, Steven always brings a wonderful vibe when he plays anything, bass and guitar. But yeah, I don't know. I think, I think always writing is great. I think that's kind of like tripped people out in the past. Like 
maybe some old bandmates were like, you know, why is he writing so much? Like, what the hell? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to name names. I, I felt like there was some weird, like, <laughs> I should write more, but I'm not. But he's writing a bunch. So he's like, he's like a jerk. I, I don't know. It was weird. There's been weird vibes. It's fine. Who cares? But, uh, <laughs> yeah without without weird vibes you're probably not living right so you kind of gotta have yeah. them every now and then but i don't know there's periods where i'm just mixing like right now i'm mixing stuff that we've already recorded i'm mixing other bands yeah. and like yeah i got the piano right here i got some organs and guitars and i'll pick up the guitar and play but i'm not in that mode right now and uh as of like a week ago before that i was playing acoustic guitar every night of uh, 12 string and six string writing and writing and writing until we recorded and then i was like okay we did the thing now i can switch and i never get worried like is it gonna come back am i gonna like pick up the guitar and write again because it's like i've done this so many times it's just like a part yeah, of the yeah. cycle i go in from the writing to the production and i don't do any playing or writing for a little while and then i get sick of the production or i get happy with where everything's at and i don't open my computer and work on mixing for a long time and i'm just playing 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 and it's just this cycle that continues forever seemingly so it's nice man that's amazing so i, I always have enough that's songs great. in the in the bank that you know if anyone ever needed a record to if anyone wanted to record a record like tomorrow i could probably scrap up enough stuff to do it you know and if as long as i'm there i feel fine just taking a break you know very cool having a laugh is my favorite song on the record nice. and i know it i like was, that one too yeah it's a great great song i know it was an example of a song that you had demoed about three four years ago and it kind of sat as a demo Oh, having a laugh was a newer demo. That was probably only there was probably only six to eight months in between that demo. It won't hurt you oh, okay. as a longer pro process. You oh, might be getting okay, those mixed okay. up. Yeah, I think I got those mixed up. And let it go was probably the longest, actually, to be to, to randomly add that. Though. So yeah, so tell me about let it go and it won't hurt you before we talk about having a laugh. Then because since they were older demos. How'd you kind of rediscover them and decide, okay, this is going to fit well for Alter Echoes and I'm going to include these songs or work on these songs a little well, more? It Won't Hurt You was pretty streamlined. I had just done the demo in my apartment. I had a drum machine and I would do the rhythm and I'd play the drum machine and add everything. And it was, you know, it had a cool vibe to it. I was trying to do like the Buffalo Springfield thing or something. And and when I showed it to the guys, that was just an immediate, like, well, this will be great as a trio. Like, you know, it's just all the elements can be covered pretty well. And it's just got that groovy vibe that we wanted to try and capture in a studio. We thought it would be cool that, you know, in the magnifying glass of like a nice studio would be sick. And so, yeah, that was not a big, uh, not a huge story to it. But Let It Go, we were playing with the old lineup years ago. I wrote it a long time ago, you know, really into the birds, as I always am, but probably a more birdsy and influenced time. And uh, we were playing it on European tours and stuff, probably like circa 2017. We recorded it at some point with the old lineup, but the guy that recorded it didn't do a good job and they just like bailed on us. It was just like a dumb thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So yeah, I didn't, but I hadn't given up on the song. I thought, you know, that's a nice song. And 
as again, it was just the song. I knew that no matter how we recorded it with these, with Brendan and Steven, it would be the best it's ever been because I just trusted yeah. and believed in the song as in its core was the nice song. So if you take the nice song and you, you know, it's like, it's like sending your kids to a good school. I've used the analogy before, but, uh, you know, it's like you send your kid to a good school, you know, he's going to turn out. Okay. You know, <laughs> it's like that was let it go with Brendan and trip ties. They were like the, the Dean of students of rock and roll university. And that song just got like a, you know, it just got the cap and gown and walked out of there. Like I'm done, you know, and it was, and that's summa cum laude yeah, from <laughs> rock and roll university. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't, don't think this song it'll never have to be recorded again because it's done it got the diploma it's it's on its way to the you know higher education i think it got into to dartmouth i don't know <laughs> it's yeah. it's just say random Hell stuff yeah. and then um we can go to having a laugh that was a demo i did because i got a Wurlitzer electric piano basically I was playing with Levitation Room. I'm still playing with them when shows happen, but I was kind of great. Yeah, I love that album you guys put out Ethos. last year. The only or no, Headspace. the only way I knew you were in that band is because I saw the I saw the press picture and I'm like, hey, that's the dude from Trip. Yeah, Tons man. Yeah, Levitation I recorded Room. Headspace too yeah. and uh, played keys and organ and whatever on it. But but yeah, I was playing like a like a MIDI keyboard through like an iPad, like with this like Wurlitzer app, this like Neo Soul keys thing. And it worked okay. It actually sounded pretty good. But like I'm using like my mom's old iPad. She just like literally used to play bridge on online and she got a new <laughs> one. Uh, and I got this one years ago and I've never updated. And like occasionally like the app would like glitch out if I tried to play too fast or like hit too many notes. And I was like, man, this sucks. You know, like I should probably get a real electric piano so I sold a bunch of stuff and uh, I bought one. I found one pretty affordable. I think it was like 1300 or 1250 which is really cheap for a Wurlitzer. But it was kind of janky and it had a really bad action. And But anyway, I rocked it out and I, I worked on a bunch of Wurlitzer-based demos, having a laugh being one of them. And I don't know, I was really trying to do like the bad finger, like straight up meets like clearly rooftop Beatles stuff. But... Um, and then eventually, yeah, I showed it to Brendan and I was like, Brendan, you, you could literally rooftop Beatles the shit out of this song. And he was like, yeah, let's record it. And by this time, Brendan had shipped out an incredible Wurlitzer that he had found in Chicago years ago. And he got it freighted out this green avocado one. Perfect. The setup by our buddy, Mike Novak at Chicago P Electric Piano Company. And it was like, if mine was like, you know, a caveman, like trying to start a fire with a stick, this was like, you know, like a fancy, like tr like a Viking oven where you just hit on or something. You know? <laughs> like if there was a comparison there, you know, and I, that's what we used on the record. And it's, so yeah, I think having an electric piano and, and something actually from 1968, 69 was really inspiring for that vibe, especially when we're trying to do like, I don't know, like bad finger stuff, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah such a feel good fucking song. That's all I got to right say. Right on, Immediately. man. Yeah. I mean, the whole record is good, but I, that's the one I was smashing the the back button on SoundCloud. Oh, man. Yeah. That, so that was times. Clay. Like when I talk about production <laughs> stuff, you know, he was. I was trying to do one fuzz sound, and he was like, you know, that fuzz sounds kind of 
it's not killing it for me right now. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> I was like, this is my fuzz pedal. What? And then he's like, why don't you just plug it into all these preamps, like, like actual, like the Beatles, like red, whatever, Abbey Road preamps, and we'll just crank them all the way and send it directly into the board. And that'll be the fuzz. And I was like, yeah, okay, we can do that. You know? And then I'm sitting in the control room with his, he gave me his uh, SG, like a, really nice uh, SG and I just and I was like man this is fucking this is this this is a sound right so that's a good example of clay being like why don't you try this and I was like well okay and then it was like amazing yeah so he really got that sort of direct and fuzz I don't know I mean that's how they the way we did it was supposed to be the same way that they got the sound for revolution on the Beatles like you know that like really distorted sound that's not a fuzz it's just them cranking these preamps to the maximum and sending it straight into the tape that's that's awesome that's really cool and now that you mentioned the Beatles what was the song is song early on the record where it sounds like part of the lyric is from across the universe what song is that? Mm, maybe it's Do You Ever Wonder? I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, there's a couple Beatles references sprinkled on the record, you know? I almost yeah. did it on purpose because I felt like it was like, yeah, we've been saying it's kind of like our Abbey Road. Like, it's probably like the end of our 60s period, but still like, yeah. you know, drifting into like 1970s sort of, you know, Abbey Road style. But I don't know. On Let's see. Do You Ever Wonder? I say like... Are we only dreaming or trying to float downstream? You know, it's like a mixture of only yeah, sleeping yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, uh, what is it? Uh, loose, what's the float down? Turn off your mind. Oh, yeah. And uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, and, tomorrow and then never knows, having yeah. a laugh. I'm a, I'm a big uh, revolver guy. I'm a big revolver guy. So. Yeah, revolver's my favorite. I'm Only Sleeping is probably Me my favorite too. song. Fuck she said, yeah, she dude. said, and I'm Only Sleeping. But, um, but yeah, yeah, and then. Having a laugh, Brendan was saying that uh, the Beatles used to say, oh, you're just having a laugh because that's what they meant when they were like in the bathroom, like, you know, token up or whatever. Yeah. Weird, yeah. So I nice. thought that was funny. But it turned out having a laugh actually turned out to be, you know, it's a fun song, but there is a little existential like dread in the fun. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Tell me about that, because I know it was it was inspired by, I think, bigger global uh, issues and things yeah like you that. know it's like every year they like turn the fucking doomsday clock like another like minute towards midnight you know it's like you know everything's yeah. fun until like the world is literally an uninhabitable wasteland dude so <laughs> it's like yeah. maybe we should stop just like you know taking money and in exchange for like destroying what's left of the natural resources we have at our you know, the way we've been gifted, you know, by the earth, you know, and we're just like so short sighted. But at the same time, yeah, the other lyrics are like, um, you know, wouldn't be any need to get out of bed if you thought everything was so bad as the news, if you if you really believed everything they said or whatever, because that's like, you know, you do turn on the news and it's like the world yeah. is horrible again today and uh, you're probably going to die. You know, <laughs> it's like so I don't watch yeah. the news like that. I, I read, you know, pointed articles and I. And I share stuff with my friends and I stay informed, but at the same time, I don't want to like, I don't want to let the media or whatever, these other people that are trying to push a narrative, like make me like 
you know, kind of paralyzed by weird anxieties or fear, because if you did that, you'd just be fucked too. It's just about living every day in a positive way and taking care of the world, taking care of each other. And then like, yeah, then you can actually have a good time. And also the last lines, it's like, I can't understand how you live that way when you know that we're all going to fade away. It's like, everything's going to go at some point, we're all going to die. So in this like chaotic, crazy, you know, existential crisis, we should try and make the most of it and have a good time too. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on in that song. Wise words, my friend, very wise words. It sounds wiser when I sing it. (laughs) 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 You know, suddenly it's got this like weight to it, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's just ideas, man. It's, I could be wrong. I could be right. It's just what I, what I thought at the time and what I believe. I still believe. Good, good, solid beliefs, solid beliefs. What about uh, Moonlight Reflection? You said you drew on the moods of Erasmo Carlos, Carlos, a Brazilian songwriter. I know you did that great collaborative album with Winter a few years ago, who I know is Brazilian. She's, she she's also great, yeah. incorporates a lot of uh, Brazilian musical influences into her, her music. I was curious when you first developed. Uh, any in, uh, interest in Brazilian music specifically and how has it influenced your songwriting? Well, long before I met Samira, who is, yeah, half Brazilian, mom's from Curitiba, dad is from, uh, he's from like uh, Arkansas or something. I forget, somewhere around there. She's going to kill me if she hears this. It's fine. Um, but anyway, I was <laughs> living with a Brazilian friend of mine named Pedro Assad, and his family was all from uh, Sao Paulo. His his dad's side of the family was actually Middle Eastern, but they ended up in Brazil. And then they ended up in Indiana because his dad was like working at like a nuclear reactor or something like at uh, Ball State in Indiana, which was wild. So the guy, you know, he's, he's a real smart yeah. guy. Great friend of mine. Totally crazy. He, 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 if he hears this, he'll agree. So it's fine. I don't care. <laughs> but he uh, he was moving from... Well, he'd always show me Brazilian stuff, but he wasn't like super into it. You know, he was into like punk rock, like garage rock, the head codes. He was into like the jam. He had like a mod phase. He was a really interesting cat. He still is. He's a great guy. Yeah. But anyway, when he moved after we finished school, he was like, fuck it, I'm going to go back to Rio. I've got an aunt there and she says I can live with her and I can study there and I can get a job. And he worked at like a hotel or whatever. He was like, hey, I got all these records it's from like my mom and her friend and they're all Brazilian. How much you want to pay me for him? And I was like, give you 30 bucks for all those records. <laughs> He was like, here you go. <laughs> and there was incredible stuff in there, like Joao Gilberto and uh, Gilberto Gil. And uh, anyway, there's a ton of good stuff in there. I'm blanking on one of my favorite guys is right now. but uh, And I was listening to Joao Gilberto record, like blown away. It's called The Boss of Bossa Nova. It's like maybe a second record on Atlantic, pressed in the States. But I was just like taking the needle and listening and playing my nylon string and starting it over and playing again and trying to learn all these intricate bossa nova chords. They're different than regular cowboy chords or whatever you want to call it. So that was kind of the beginning. Oh, Chiku Barki is the other guy I remember getting. He's great. He has has a ton of stuff from the 60s to the 70s, but I got one of his really early albums like Chiku Chiku Barki, Giolanda, Volume 3 or something. It's really nice. And 
yeah, so Pedro hooked me up and he taught me a little Portuguese. I learned a little Portuguese just by listening to Joao Gilberto because it's very clear. It's just him and the acoustic, maybe a piano and a little strings, but you can hear everything he says. So that got me into it. And then, yeah, I moved to LA. I met Samira, spoke enough Portuguese that she was like, oh, that's cool. Well, let's record. So we ended up recording some stuff together. She showed me some more stuff. She showed me Erasmus Carlos for sure. He's incredible. I mean, he's an absolutely incredible. But the best albums are Carlos uh, Erasmu and uh, Sonio Si Memorias. And Sonio Si Memorias has these really like, like mellow kind of like almost like Hawaiian parts on it, but it's still like psychedelic and really soft. And there's there's some heavy stuff. There's some echoed vocals, and it was like man, this is the shit. And Steven loves it too. Brendan loves it too. Brendan's a big fan of world music. So we're all like students of world music, Bossa Nova. We might actually make a Bossa Nova record on as Triptides at some point because we're just super into it. But it would be like, you know, Tropicalia, Osmutanchis and the more fuzzy, weird stuff. And even like, I don't know, even Stereo Lab kind of draws on that Bossa Nova stuff. Yes, Absolutely. Definitely. But I like the way they do it because they're kind of like pushing it into like this, like you're in like space on this like mid-century, like, yeah, whatever space bachelor pad thing floating along vibes. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. The Brazilian stuff has been huge for me. And I think that their chord changes and the emotions in the in the music and this longing. I mean, I think Samba music has like Martinho GB Martinho da I'm I'm blanking on the names right now because it's early but they're supposed to sing about saudade as like they're supposed to sing about like carnival saudade and like maybe one other thing with saudade is like the longing like emotional like when you miss something but it's heavier than that like there's no translation you know into English and I love that because it's a very like strong emotional depth to everything even if it's just like fun about carnival but it's about this like longing to to see you know a loved one or be somewhere or celebrate with your friends even and whatever it is it's just like a beautiful depth to it which i think you know some american music could have a little bit more of that sometimes but i think we do we do a pretty good job <laughs> it's great to see you have such an eclectic set of influences because I interviewed Samira last year on this podcast right around the time her most recent record right, came out. Right. And I asked her about the record you guys made together. And yeah, I remember her telling me that y you had already had this foundation in Brazilian pop music and psych music and you you knew how to speak Portuguese and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you have such a, this guy has such an eclectic set of influences. It's cool. And I loved that record too, because of the Brazilian influence that's present in it. And also the intersection of triptide style of music, you know, psychedelic and winter's, you know, shoegaze and dream pop influences. I felt like it was a perfect combination of three of those things. That yeah, record. it was I th the first song we recorded was Dosi Violetta and she was like really into Melody's echo chamber at the time. And I was still into Tame Impala and I was like, I'll Kevin Parker this or whatever, you know, like I'll help produce like the tripped out version of your music. And it turned out great. That That's probably one of my favorites. But yeah, then it was, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just, it was such a cool like intersection of both. But it, 
both styles and sounds. And At the stuff. same time, we were, I mean, I was, you know, really obsessed with this Caetano Veloso Gal Costa album called Domingo, Domingo Sunday or whatever, which just them and, and their pure bossa nova state before Caetano got psychedelic, before Gal Costa got psychedelic, like fuzz guitars. And that was Mutanchi's playing with her. You know, it's just like, like shh, 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 like super mellow. And they sing these beautiful verses back and forth and sing with each other. And I was like, we should use that vibe too. That's a great vibe if we can make. So there's like the weird, like melodies, echo chamber, psychedelic, like vibe. And then there's just like this pure bossa nova, like simplicity. And I think there's an interesting intersection when you combine those things, because like, I mean, I'm sure if you listen to that Caetano and Gal album on the right, you know, in the right mindset, it would be psychedelic too. So it's interesting. Just their melodies and the way that they sing. It's so, it's so awesome. Totally. Everybody check out that record, Winter and Triptides, Estrella Magica. It's a good, good album. Oh, cheers, man. Back to Alter Echoes. Tell me about the, the title. How does it, uh, how'd you come up with it? What does it represent about the record? Well, I guess it kind of goes with Shining, the song. Uh, I was, you know, I've always wanted to do like a, I've, I love Pink Floyd. They're probably top three bands for me of all time. And Echoes and Breathe, I mean, Breathe and stuff. That's like early, early in, in, influence or early door, like gateway drug into psychedelic music, like Dark Side of the Moon. Of course, you're a kid. And of course you hear Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. But Breathe and like any color you like and all that stuff. So I was thinking, like, would it be too on the nose to call the record Echoes? Because <laughs> every song we did employ the use of a boss space echo. We actually use the chorus echo, a slightly later model, but it's a tape, tape machine echo unit. And we went through and I, I did all of the echoing manually with the guys and we threw my vocals through it later. And there was a lot of echoing on the record. And the guys were saying, you know, that might be a little too obvious. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. So what, what do we call it? And I think Brendan came up with alter echoes. And I guess it could sound like alter egos or something, but I wasn't really thinking of nice. I wasn't yeah, necessarily yeah. actually tying those together. But uh, alter echoes, you know, I just could see it in like my mind and we could all kind of see it like on a record and it seemed passable you know i don't know <laughs> if you can see it on the cover yeah, of the record you're not upset about it and you think it's okay i'm there i i don't like to dwell on titles you know most of the triptides albums as you've probably noticed are just a name of one of the songs yeah. on the record name like something afterglow yeah. is just the name of the song tropical dreams is just the name of the song psychic summer is the name of the song it's i mean predictions i could go on the only one that's not is azure probably which is not a song but but you know, man, it's it's as long as it's got a cool vibe, and is if it doesn't turn people off, then the music should be able to turn people on. Is what I'm at. So Alter Echoes seemed no one's going to be like, "Fuck that name." <laughs> it's like, so I'm cool with it. It's that was not my reaction. You didn't see for that. Sure. And you're like, I it hate was, this. This is a know? cool name. <laughs> oh, I hate this album. Next, you know. Like, <laughs> It's not like uh, Butthole Surfer's Locust Tech Abortion Technician. Oh, man. Yeah. Take take off your pants and jacket or whatever. Blink-182. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I can't get into that stuff. It has to be at least like a semblance of like maturity or something. I'll I'll watch like a comedy movie if I want to get into a joke here. I take music seriously. (laughs) 
Gosh darn it. Super duper. I'm like super cereal about it. Cereal. Super Super cereal. cereal. Exactly. (laughs) You you put out a lot of records with the French label, uh, Requiem Pour, Un Twister, and you've had, Triptides has had success in Europe. I loved seeing Triptides basically touring all the time in Europe. That's got to be amazing that you're you're able to do that regularly. Kind of like a big uh, indicator of success for the band, definitely. Uh, was your relationship with the la- that label a big part of that, you think? And how'd that uh, relationship initially start? Well, let's start with that. Uh, we released Psychic Summer online on Bandcamp, and somehow they found it. And Alexandre and Etienne, his brother, the brothers that run the label, and they said, I guess Alexandra reached out first. He said, I want to do a single with going under an outlaw and Coke Macadam, which is like his like slightly smaller boutique single label, just singles. And we said, okay, of course we want to do that. You know? Yeah. Flash forward. We put out a couple more singles. We put out a record with the British label, with the British label stroll on. They kind of just like disappeared. The guy got into like putting out like, I don't know, like G unit reissues or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, he became, he became a hit. He's like a Londoner guy that was like into like hip hop. He just like, I think he just jumped on the psych rock bandwagon for a second there. But nice enough guy, James. Sorry, James. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> Alexander and Etienne, they had another label, Requiem Porn Twister, Serge Gainsbourg song. Yeah. If you're familiar with Serge Gainsbourg, another incredible artist. Yes. And, uh, Basically, they said, we want to do Azure. That would be, we'll do CD, we'll do vinyl. And I was like, hell yeah. And so we worked with them and they distributed it in France and French people got into it. Azure was a big album. I mean, not big, but it was probably our biggest one in France. And that's like our 80s pop one. So maybe they, you know, they like that like C86 kind of cleaners from Venus, whatever you want to call it stuff. Yeah, totally. And they did the next one, Afterglow, and they did Visitors. And and then... They've been a little bit of a lull from the pandemic, so... Yeah. And the guys were interested in getting a U.S. label, you know, just to try something different, because it's better... We Alive has better distribution. The French label has pretty decent distribution in Europe, but you're, you're not going to, like, walk into a random record store and find the Triptides yeah. LPs from them, you know, unfortunately, because that's just not how it works. But, but that did help us probably get a, a European booking agent, our buddy, our now friend, Joran Hoovels from... Uh, He's from the Netherlands. He lives in Utrecht right now. And he reached out asking to book us in Europe. And we didn't know what to say at first. I, we were just like, who's this guy? You know, is this, is this legitimate? And then we saw him like on the road with another band and like booking this other band. And they were doing cool shows. And like, fuck, this guy seems legit. Turns out he's super legit, wonderful guy. And he's booked us some incredible tours, you know, like got us you know better guarantees than we could have imagined and they just keep getting better and we've got another tour in september but we'll see he's not exactly he's not exactly uh you know put counting his counting his eggs here whatever you want to call it and count the chickens so unfortunately we're not 100 percent sure if that'll happen and we don't want to do anything that's uh you know not cool or unsafe or any of that jazz so there you go so a lot of that happened because it was like a big, seems like a really big turning point for the project. So that was like right around Azure time, like right afterwards where you start to notice like, hey, this is like getting more 
serious and people are listening to our music and we're we're able to tour europe and stuff like that well when we released azura it was our first record release after re- relocating to los angeles and i think alexandra cool. said you know it's like you know i don't care if you're from bloomington indiana or if you're from los angeles it's fine but you know <laughs> he's like the french people they think it's cool if you're from la so it's good you moved you know like basically in so many words like <laughs> people want to buy la bands over here so you did you made the yeah. right move man you know and uh and I think that also helps. It's a lot easier to put like, you know, just like trip tides, parentheses, Los Angeles, for somewhere Angeles, in like yeah. Geneva, Switzerland, then trip tides, parentheses, Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> no, I love Bloomington. Bloomington's a cool ass place, but no one in Europe knows what the fuck it is. So that's not very helpful for the for the promotional purposes. Yeah, Europe just knows the yeah, coast, they kn- <laughs> especially in places like the UK. They know New York, well, and you know, and I know we're, we're talking France, but UK, they love New York bands, they love LA it's true, bands, man. at least that's it's what I'm I wasn't going to move know? to New York, so yeah. here we are, but you are, you're kind of there, <laughs> I mean, Jersey cities, you're not, you're not in the thick of it necessarily, right, you have like a, a normal sized place with not extremely horrible rent, right, you know, like New exactly. York City just seemed yeah. a little belly of the beast for me, and like, and my one of my best friends, Alex Barrett, who used to play in Prince Moondog, Camp Frankie and the Witch Fingers, that's a whole other story. But he lives there in uh, Brooklyn and he's just like he went to business school, he woke up early, he he got more stuff done, he's like he's more motivated. You know, in other ways. I'm motivated in ways that he's not. But I just knew that like that was for him and but not necessarily for me, you know. <laughs> All right. We are now going to play some songs from Triptide's new record, Alter Echoes. It's out now via Alive Records. You can get yourself a copy on limited edition blue vinyl via alive-records.com. We're going to hear two songs we spoke about, Moonlight Reflection and my favorite track from the album, Having a Laugh.
All right, everyone. We just heard two tracks from Triptide's brand new record, Alter Echoes. We heard two of my favorite tracks from the record, Moonlight Reflection and Having a Laugh. If you liked what you heard, you could stream the record on all streaming platforms. You could also get a copy on vinyl via Alive Records. Go to their website, alive-records.com, and order yourself a copy. All right, now we're going to play some records that Glenn picked, and we're going to talk about them, starting with Paul and Linda McCartney, Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey off of Ram. Tell me. Why'd you pick this record, Glenn? Oh, it's just one of the best songs, isn't it? I mean, that's a that's a that's one you'd send into space, you know, if the aliens came or whatever, and you need to send them some good vibes and tell them not to like vaporize us. But yeah, I, I think the the song running on that's it's really like you know Paul continuing that Abbey Road, the sweet thing, where he would combine all the songs into one song. Yeah. But I think you'd almost like boiled it down to even more of this just like perfect perfect version of the suite going from one song to the other and there's just no there's no real separation even though they're totally different songs but you don't feel like the vibe shifted in a way that like sets off like whoa what's happening it's just this perfectly produced perfectly composed piece of pop music and it's it's awesome i mean i've been listening to that song since i was a kid and i bought like I don't know, some compilation CD of his stuff, you know, and it's just, it's always been there for me when I, when I need a mellow jam to, to unwind. Two, two follow-up questions, favorite Beatle and question number two, favorite members post Beatle solo career. I think career. Paul might be my favorite Beatle just cause he was like, I don't know. He was the pop guy. I'm sort of the pop guy too, yeah. you know. And I, I, it's hard. I love John. I mean, my favorite Beatles songs are "I'm Only Sleeping" and "She Said She Said," which are John's songs. But like, if I wanted to sit down with one of them and have a beer, you know, probably Paul. He's also still alive, which helps. But you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, he Paul's a star. That's the only thing. I do feel like he would be like it would be like talking with a celebrity. Now it wouldn't be like talking with like yeah. an artist. Where maybe if John was still kicking, he would uh, he would be a little bit more artistic. But I'm not sure if he would be super friendly. You know, he seemed like he he got a little like <laughs> angsty. And uh, yeah. George, I mean, he's great. Spiritual vibes, super super uh, important for bringing sitar to Western music. And I play sitar probably because George Harrison. And I think that's great. Ringo, he's he's such a wonderful soul, but you know, he was always just he was translating their ideas and making them these incredible beats and stuff. But I don't think yeah. he could have by himself created the Beatles. Whereas Paul, like, I mean, some of that band on the run stuff, Ram, those albums are like pretty much in the same canon as the Beatles for me. And even like McCartney too and weird where he gets into like yeah it's like goes electronic you know like temporary secretary like what the fuck is even happening dude or like check my machine it's just like weird like dub like hip-hop like proto hip-hop the guy the guy is is an incredible musician and incredible talent and, and yeah he's a star but i get it you know he, he he's earned that title 
So yeah, Paul is pretty awesome. I just ordered myself a knockoff Rickenbacker bass, so I'm ready to pretend I'm Paul. And I also have a knockoff Hoffner bass, so I basically just have fake copies of his two main basses now. <laughs> do Do you play any uh, Rickenbacker six string or twelve string guitar? Well. I actually, we did, I did use a six string on Alter Echoes, a real one, like the John Lennon, uh, Ed Sullivan yeah. show one, but I just got this like fake Inbacher six string. It's like a Korean one. No nice. logo there, you know, whatever. 200 bucks on Craigslist. So, and I have the fake, uh, Dillian. This is like another like Rick and Faker 12 string. That's my go-to. I used nice. a Rickenbacker 12 nice. on the album, too, that Clay had, because Clay is a big Beatles nerd, and he has a bunch of the, uh, you know, to spec stuff, like the Casino, Epiphone Casino from 64, but there's my knock knockoffner, you know. I covered the logo up, it just Beautiful. says Rogue. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's been Beautiful. on a ton of Triptide stuff, all these things, not the new Rick copy, but uh, yeah, man, so... I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the knockoffs now, but Brendan has a real Rick uh, six string. It's called a 420, Electro 420. It's the one that George Harrison played on a couple of things. He picked it up while he was traveling the States, I think, before the Beatles came. So it's funny. I'm not a guitar player, but I do have a real 60s Rickenbacker. Not the... Uh, so one of the sunburst ones, but my I, my late uncle was a musician, and big uh, Beatles no band way. guitar, and um, he was a, a guitar collector, and so I have like a, a what, what color of, is it? The uh, ma maple, maple salmon. or the black or okay, it's a three thirty five, like the ho hollow body Rick three thirty five, uh, all the the finishes, yeah, the maple wood finish glow. And, and stuff yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, Maple Glow. Yeah, Rickenbacker 335. Nice, maple awesome. Glow. I mean, those things are built like amazingly. Like, Brendan picked up a real one the other day, a guitar, and it, it's an interesting 70s one where it looks like Paul's bass with the big horns and stuff. It's the Maple Glow, natural one. And it's, but it's a guitar, and I picked it up and played it. I was like, dude, this is like too easy to play. Like, this is insane. It was just like the smoothest ride. It was wild. It was wild. I can see why people shell out Sick. the cash for yeah. them. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just like the fakers, I'll man. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> to brag about my copy of physical graffiti because it also belonged to my my late uncle and this copy of physical graffiti is an original pressing and it is in fucking near mint condition it is such a clean copy the cover and the actual record i wonder if it was mastered by there's a certain mastering engineer and you can find his initials in the in the dead wax and uh, I forget what his name is. It's like R something. Shoot, I can't remember. But his copies were all oh, Zeppelin mastering engineer copies. What's his name? Uh, Robert Ludwig. Yeah. So his copies, it says RL nice. in the dead wax. You can check. I'm not sure if he did it for physical graffiti, but definitely for House of the Holy 
Zeppelin II. I think they had to recall them or they stopped pressing them because they were making the needles jump or something because he made the bass like so fat on them or something crazy. That's it. <laughs> or, or the story is like Ahmet Ertegun, like the Atlantic Records, like l- head of Atlantic, like his daughter put it on and it like made her, re- her needle pop up and he was like, repress you know <laughs> but those ro- those robert ludwig copies the shit man so if you have one that's amazing but yeah physical graffiti is amazing Fuck it's, yeah, a, it's a wonderful check. record one of my when i was a kid i mean that record particularly hit me that and house of the holy even more than the other ones now i'm i'm probably a big biggest zeppelin one two three guy but when i was a youngster house of the holy and physical graffiti and four of course were my heavy hitters nice. and you picked the wanton song yeah it's a great track. Yeah, that song's awesome, dude. I, I never knew what was happening. Like, if there was an organ or something happening, but it's just Jimmy Page probably playing through a Leslie cabinet with the guitar, that, like, weird, like, churning guitar sound. It's so rad. That song's amazing. What a fucking jam. Next, spark plug off of Emperor Tomato Ketchup by Stereo Lab. Stereo Lab has come up a couple of times already in this. Yeah, interview. I had to throw one of their songs on there. Yeah. It was between that and a couple others, but yeah, it's an awesome song too. It's just like, I don't know, they've got their own rhythm to them, you know, they've got their own like movement that it's always moving in an interesting way, whether it's the drums and bass or just the way the vocals come in and out. And I think that song's a good example of just like the way that they've mastered this, like their own groove between the group, G R O O P. Cleaners from Venus. I love Martin Newell. You picked Golden Age Saturday off of In the Golden Autumn. Shout shout out to Martin, man. He seems like a wonderful guy. He's on the internet all the time, like on Facebook and and whatever and i always like his stuff or like comment and i like i think i've sent him a couple messages he probably just thinks i'm a fucking weirdo you know but like he's a huge inspiration to me for the lo-fi home recording stuff because i know he would just record a bunch of stuff on the four track and then he'd be like okay that's enough songs cut it make a make a master tape and mail them out and that's we used to do that with trip tides too with the first couple eps and psychic summer and in the golden autumn is a specifically beautiful album and a beautiful song because i remember driving around in bloomington with like that and the tape deck you know as it was actually like these beautiful indiana falls you know like so many colors and we were next to the national park and lake monroe and we'd drive and just see like this like you know, the kaleidoscope of browns and greens and yellows and reds. And it was just like, I felt like, I felt really connected to the Cleaners from Venus stuff when I lived there. And I don't know if I would have been as connected living out in LA where it's kind of like perma sun and perma summer or whatever, but like in the Midwest and in the South, I grew up with beautiful falls. My dad, it was his favorite season was the fall. We'd literally drive up to North Carolina just to see the leaves changing and stuff. So I've always had an affinity for that that time of the year and i think there's nothing more autumnal than those cleaners from venus albums midnight cleaners and in the golden autumn songs for follow land i mean all of them 
Yeah. Beautiful and very, you know, na natural for sure. And it's, it's interesting because you mentioned that his approach to recording, definitely a big inspiration on Triptide's early periods where you just get it on the tape, send it out to be mastered. Now you're kind of approaching it a little differently. You were mentioning going through mixing, you're doing mixing notes on the mixes for this record. And well, Martin did that too. By by 1990, he did The Greatest Living Englishman with Andy Partridge. Produced by Andy Partridge, full yes. Full circle, you know, and there's, there's photos of yeah. him in the studio, you know, legitimate studio. I don't know yeah. what machines they were using and stuff, but... You know, and I like that record, but it doesn't have the exact same magic as those early 80s ones, like the 83 through yeah. like 86 period. And I hope people never say that about my stuff, but, you know, people people probably will say stuff, you know, because everyone's going to be influenced by a different vibe and they're going to have their opinion. And some people probably thought The Greatest Living Englishman was his greatest record of all time. And maybe people think Alter Echoes is our best record. So. But, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I think he's still he's still rocking. I mean, he's still like on Facebook yeah. right now, like recordings done, time to mix. See you guys in a little while. He's he does these like odd casts, like redoes podcasts and stuff. I mean, it'd be cool. You should get him on yours, man. He seems like a oh yeah, I'd he's love a to fucking talk to him. scholarly dude. He seems like super intelligent and super astute, and he would just be like a fucking pleasure to interview. But this is just based on my analysis of the situation, which could be skewered. Another big proponent of the Tascam, guided by voices. Oh yeah! As we go up, we go down what off of hit, Alien man. Lanes. Recorded on great, great story about those two records, uh, B Thousand and Alien Lanes. Basically, just recorded on Tascam, four track, six track, whatever, and yep. put out, and both became, you know some of the two of the best indie rock records of all time. Those are my probably. two favorites for sure. I, yeah. I think I read a quote where like Matador gave them an advance and they just spent like whatever they, they kept everything except what they spent on blank cassettes and beer or something. <laughs> 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 and it's so funny cause you'll hear those records and you'll hear like, like the first song on B thousand, uh, hardcore UFOs, right? Yeah. Like the guitar solo just gets like some, they like punched over it. They like accidentally hit record. <laughs> it's like whatever. It's just like and they kept it. But you know what? And some people will be like, Well, that's fucking lazy and they should have redone it. But I'm just like, that sounds like people in a room fucking around making art you know and what yeah. what is more pure and cool than that you know of course some things could be cleaned up but like i don't know robert pollard is an incredible singer and any any weird inconsistencies he makes up for with his uh beautiful singing and incredible you know abstract lyrics it's like dadaism or it's like a rothko painting of lyrics you know going on i don't even know what's happening and I don't know. Apparently, he's he's an interesting character. My buddy who lives up here, Steve, he plays bass in Dead Meadow. Apparently, they got to tour with them, Matador thing. And he said, yeah, Bob Pollard was super, super cool, super nice, kind of like in his own world. And the rest of the band was like all like 
giant bottles of booze on stage. <laughs> Everyone had their own handle and stuff. Like these, they're just like rocking, rocking dudes, man. They they came to yeah, rock. Bob Pollard, he's living the dream, dude. Yeah, guys living the dream, still going strong. They just put out another record. It's like their fourth record oh, in the man. last year. So I, I, I need to catch him. up, man. I, I need to dive back in here. Next, Blue Hawaiian by Pavement off of Brighton the Corner. This is sort of a random one, actually, but I was really into that album in, I don't know, college, I guess circa like 2012. I remember my my friend at the time, Trevor Cherzen, recommending me that. He actually also recommended The Cleaners from Venus to me. He, he had some pretty good ideas, that guy. He moved to Alaska, so he's out of the... He's kind Whoa, of Trevor up in Alaska. Yeah, wild. But uh, yeah, he. I remember him saying Blue Hawaiian's like the best song ever, and I was like, alright, alright, let's hear it. And I was like, damn, this song <laughs> is fucking It's awesome, a good song. I like dude. this song. Yeah, it's got such a vibe to it, you know? It's like cool. It's almost like a spy movie or something, you know? Or like it reminds me almost like that Radiohead like TV show host or whatever talk show host, you know that kind of like misty weird thing. Uh, it's it's rad, man. That's a great track. And wrapping up the playlist with Black Country Rock oh, off man. of The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. Huge Man Who Sold the World phase over the summer, man. Like, I don't know what happened, but I couldn't stop listening to that record, man. I bought, I actually ordered a copy off eBay. I literally never order records on, online. It's like a rule, like slippery slope, you know. I don't want to just be the guy getting records in the mail every day, but I was like, fuck it, I gotta have this record. And I love the whole record. I love all the Mad Men. I love Black Country Rock. I love Width of a Circle. I love, I love it all, man. I love the man who sold the world. But I do think Black Country Rock. If I was going to throw it on a playlist, man, that song is just such a. It's a perfect like rock song with like this like pop craftsmanship. You know, I mean, Bowie probably just came in and said a bunch of nonsense like in one take or something, and he does the T Rex imitation at the end. It's so yes, funny, totally. And they just yeah. kept it. I remember I was driving, listening to, and I actually almost crashed. So I was like, "Is that Mark Bolin?" You know, and I had to like open my phone <laughs> and I googled it, and apparently no, Bowie was doing his Bolin imitation, and Visconti thought it was funny, and they kept it. But I know, uh, I know Tony Visconti was like kind of like frustrated because Bowie. I think he was like honeymooning at the time or something, and I think Mick Ronson is responsible for a lot of the. I don't know, like putting that album together. I mean, there's interviews where Bowie says, but you listen to the chords and those are my chords, you know, come on, you know, but like, it's like, come on, man, you just kind of like showed up and like threw vocals in there. Right. At the same time, I think Biscani was pissed because he hadn't written any lyrics, but black country rock, it's like just the same lyrics over and over. 
but that song is just so awesome it doesn't even matter like he could be literally singing gobbledygook and it would just be like this fucking sick rock song All right, so we're coming to the end of this episode of Look at My Records. Glenn, it was so great having you on the podcast today. But before we go, I know you mentioned you've been recording, have plans for a possible tour later in the year. Just tell us what's next for Triptides now that Alter Echoes is out. Uh, well, we're going to have a new music video, too. It might even be out before this podcast is coming out, but we did one for Hand of Time that we're really excited about. We, it's a, it's kind of fun, you know, just a little little silly psychedelic video, but I think it'll be a, a little entertaining. And li- little entertainment, a little, you know, we can't play live for anybody, but we want people to, you know, feel the connection with us and the songs and having us you know, seeing us play the song a little bit. So I think that'll be a nice kind of uh, middle ground between, you know, some sort of like soul crushing live stream and like not playing or whatever. You know? <laughs> I can't do the, the live streams. streams are soul crushing, dude. Do I don't blame them. you. I know. I'm sorry. I, I, I turned them you. down. I was like, you know what? I get it. We're all fucked, but I did not sign up to be on a goddamn computer camera here. Yeah. You know, this is not why I got in the game. Anyway, sorry, yeah, whatever. Dude. It's all good. <laughs> I feel you. I don't watch him anymore. I think we're almost, <laughs> we're almost through the tunnel here. Him. I think we're almost through like, yeah. the, like the fucking like haunted house tunnel of, of, of live stream shit. So I don't know. If you want to do them, it's fine. I'm not talking shit about anyone putting on a live stream or anyone trying to connect with their audience via live stream. And if you want to do that, then by God, just do it. But I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to be live streaming very much for the rest of my life if possible, unless I'm on a goddamn space station by the time I die. (laughs) (laughs) Unless I'm playing an anti-gravity, you know, like up there just like, ah, Trip tides in space, baby. I'm not opposed 20, to that idea. 2045, 2045. If we're yeah. lucky, yeah. I'm just, like I said, I'll be the first <laughs> band in space. As long as I can come back and it's not a Planet of the Apes situation where everyone's dead and the, the world's ruled by ape people. you know. Because I watched that yeah. movie recently and I was like, that would be fucking weird. Yeah, it'd be really lame. <laughs> really lame. It's such a bummer ending when they realize, hey, this is the world. I know. Dude, You've done this it. This is the world. You- <laughs> I don't remember, but you really did it. You really did it. Not to spoil it for anyone. If anyone hasn't seen Charlton Heston overact his way through the Planet of the Apes movie, you're missing out. You're missing out. What a time. What a time to be alive. Uh, (laughs) Well, Glenn. I have to say, this was an amazing interview. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. As I've mentioned, huge fan of Triptide. So it was so great getting to talk with you for the last 
two hours, dude. Yeah, it's flown by, long, man. I, I, long, fun chat. This is the kind of live stream I can get into, you know, actually, just, just hanging. So I appreciate the interview, man. Anytime. Okay, everyone, before we go, we're going to play one more track from Alter Echoes. We're going to hear Do You Ever Wonder? Everyone, Alter Echoes is available on all streaming platforms, and you can get a copy on limited edition blue vinyl via alive-records.com. Mm-hmm. 